The following program is an artistic work of fiction and falsehood. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the broadcasters or the management thereof. Listener discretion is advised. I'm glad you're here. I'm media disruption developer Kai Hubris, and this is EurekaCast, now where science meets technology meets you. With me, as always, is Professor Rowan Meadowlark from the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science. Hey there, Rowan. Hello, and let me welcome our scientific joy fellows to the program this evening. That's you, of course, the listening audience. Yes, the listener, uh, we consider you uh, scientific joy fellows uh, out there, you particular listener, you are a scientific joy fellow, and that's very important. That's very good because I have a very important scientific conundrum that I want to talk to you um, right off the bat this evening. That wasn't a very convincing segue, Kai. Well, I, I hope to I hope to change your mind when I talk about this specific problem that I'm working on. It's actually something that probably every single citizen scientist out there has heard and has probably researched, has thought about. Again, that creativity out there. That, that creativity, that thirst for knowledge is what makes you a citizen scientist. Um, but that is that, what we've all heard about. It's the mysterious monolith that was found in the deserts of Utah among the Red Canyons. Well, well, it, it's worth clarifying that this is the latest monolith that has been found. It, 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 the most modern monolith. There's numerous monoliths all throughout Utah, Nevada, Arizona. Many of them are still being discussed about with regards to their providence and purpose to mm. this day if anything this i i really hope this is a starter monolith for people to look more deeply into the monolith phenomenon sure sure it may not be the first monolith but but it certainly is the most uh, the most easy to it's like gateway monolith certainly it's easy it's easy to uh, for the layman to 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 you know cling on to and, and understand more about um, and, and personally, that's what I've been doing. I've been a, made it my mission recently. As a scientist, as a, a, uh, a disruption developer, I have made it my mission to solve what this monolith is and what it means for society. Well, that's a, a, I would be very careful going down that pathway. Many, many men have gone insane trying to unravel the mysteries of, of these, these grand structures that continuously mm -hmm. appear in the desert. Certainly, but I have it's okay, Rowan, because I have the tools and uh, and experience to, to do this. Uh, I I think this is something that many many have uh, have so far uh, thought about. Um, they they thought about what this thing could be, um, and from my experience, from my disruptive development experience, what what I see so far after doing several simulation runs and and, and interpolating a lot of this data, is I'm thinking this. It could either be one of two things. Oh, all right. Let's hear them. It is either a class B media bubble or a class 2.3 media bubble, an entirely different classification of media bubble altogether. Uh, um, I'm sorry. I don't know if I entirely follow. How does that track to this structure again? Well, the structure seemed to cause a huge uh, uproar in in the media disruptive in the media disruptive circles in in media and uh, proliferations of, of articles and discussions and theories it, it has created uh well what I've described before as a media bubble a uh, an acceleration of discussion around a specific topic or concept and my job is to study to truly understand the nature of this media event that we find but I th so you're not interested in the the purpose of the op the object itself. Oh, I am incredibly interested in the purpose of the ob object. Uh, so, so let me let me clarify what these classifications mean. Um, so a class B um, from from past data and experience tells us that these uh, these these sort of events, these sort of bubbles, uh, tend to formulate uh, into trends that inevitably lead to new innovative projects, whereas and this is this is the this is the curious the curious part about it. The class two point three bubble is still a relatively novel bubble, and 
usually from the very limited amount of data that we've collected about these sorts of events. Uh, they tend to form wide sweeping technological advancements and a series of increasingly more disruptive events. Very mysterious. So as you can see, by learning the disruptive media nature of, of, these, of, of these objects, of these events, we can truly understand why they're there and what they're all about, and most, most importantly, what they're going to do for society. I don't know if I followed any of that. I don't know if I want to follow any of that. But very good for you, Kai. Well, th thank you, Rowan. I'll keep you updated on my findings on this very interesting event. And hopefully, citizen scientists out there, I would like you to, you to you know, investigate what kind of media event you think this is and what tools you have at your disposal to investigate exactly what's to come. Uh, Rowan, I think we have a story, though, for today, right? We, we do. We actually have a Eureka Feels. Um, these, are, these are stories that are, that are, that are inspirational and, and touch to the emotional core, the emotional experience of science and technology, because it's not all just facts and figures. It isn't. It's not just all, all databases and, and, and petri dishes. No, and that's a great deal of it, certainly. Yes, but there is a heart and a emotional core to all of these things that are done because right it, it truly takes a scientist to love it, it to, to, to care in a tangible manner yeah it takes a scientist to care about the research because very few others will so today we have this incredible inspiring story out of clearwater florida a local dolphin a favorite among the locals named bubbles mm -hmm. was caught in the turbine of a local power plant and people were devastated Th i am devastated that sounds horrible well this this dolphin was known as bubbles because it had this habit of blowing bubbles as it swam alongside mm. local boaters and came up to the, the the jetty and it would blow bubbles and, and all of the people of clearwater reportedly would go and wave to it and they loved this dolphin they absolutely yes. loved this dolphin Certainly. so when 78 percent of its body was mangled by the turbine machinery uh people were besides themselves with grief and and I can understand. It, it would seem like the end of bubbles but thankfully and mm. this is this is the eureka part of the eureka right. eureka feels i'm, I'm certainly I'm, rowan i'm certainly eureka feeling a lot right now scientists from manatee medtech with local marine biologists mm -hmm. managed to keep not just keep bubbles alive hmm. but put together an entirely new full body prosthetic for the porpoise and for the really? first time ever an incredibly radical uh, eureka idea frankly it, truly i mean it is a it is a revolutionary idea and for such a such a worthy a worthy uh, patient it seems well of course i mean it it, it it goes to say too almost it goes without saying rather that this specific type of dolphin is endangered so it wasn't mm. just the emotional sort of immediate connection that that bubbles seemed to have with these local people it also was a, an issue of conservation you know each of these individuals in the species is precious and right. needs to be kept alive by all means necessary and that's exactly what they did mm -hmm. so they started with the lungs um, because as a porpoise, it does not have gills. It has lungs um, right. and a blowhole, mm -hmm. all of which had been mangled. Uh, so it, it was really quite it, quite an interesting challenge is perhaps the way to look at it for Manatee Med Basically Tech. recreating the, the entire respiratory system from scratch, it sounds like. Well, in a, in a, in a sense, uh, what they ended up constructing was what is known in the technical world as a negative pressure ventilator you mm. might know it better as an iron lung although with modern advances sure. it's of course made of composites right it's not, iron's pricey these days it, well it's and it it, it certainly it, it weighs more heavily than one right. would want from a in a dolphin use case also i i do believe it maybe it, it rusts i i think that's a that's a thing about it right so this this negative pressure ventilator was constructed of of plastics and fiberglass mm. um it was still a little bit too uh, it was a little bit too Hefty, bulky, yeah, bulky for uh 
bubbles to be able to f- move freely. And mm-hmm. what is a dolphin if not a, a, the dancer yes, of the waters? A, a truly elegant animal. So what they over at Manatee MedTech put together was a, a propulsion device, sort of an outboard motor that was attached to the negative pressure ventilator. Attached directly to the, the ventilator itself. Yes, the ventilator being sort of a, a large uh, capsule right. with in which the uh, the, the, oh, the, the dolphin the... is placed. Ooh, okay. Um, with openings and what have you for sure. various aspects, which we'll talk about later. But yes, okay. the sort of the sort of this outboard motor was placed on the the dolphin enclosure, uh, the dolphin prosthetic, perhaps, mm-hmm. and. That is connected by electrodes, which are then implanted in the blubber, The some of the remaining blubber. So Bubbles mm. is, is capable of propelling itself around um, while maintaining its breathing. So, And that was a great first step. Really? But that's not all that could it did. Can, wait, could it control where it moved? Um, in a manner. Uh, in a manner. Uh, okay. Th- additionally, the, the heart had taken some damage. So uh, what they did was they grafted in some automatically activated automatically activated defibrillators to sort of mm. counteract the the constant heart murmurs and heart attacks that bubbles has been heart attacks yes you know with these sort if this is also cutting edge and and we don't really know what's going mm. on in the mental capacity right. of bubbles the, the body is what you're saying the body has not caught up to the technological advancements of the of the of the robotics of the prosthetic of the yes. prosthetics um additionally and this was probably the most extensive work that was done and by and by extension the most fascinating the, the head or bottle nose if you will sure. was completely destroyed completely and utterly mangled oh, no. um very sad uh, very gory but mm. what they ended up doing was a 3D printing a completely new skull with eye sockets and and various areas for nerves to run and what they did was this they took out the old destroyed skull and re-encased mm. all of the the brain and the and the eyes and the digestive tube wow. all through this new skull and it, it bubbles may not look as pretty as he, as as he used to but he's still doing. He's still kicking. You I, know, and that's I, yeah, and that's certainly. the beautiful thing. That's really the beautiful thing. Did they have to? Did they have to graft in a new skin on top of that skull, or is it just the the exposed skull? Um, it's it, it, it's a little bit of both. A little bit of a, a little bit of b. There are exposed portions of the skull, but they do believe in time, um, over perhaps many years, they will be able to regraft a, a sort of an approximation of the skin around. Uh, Bubbles' face. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, and this is really quite, I think, probably the most fascinating thing that they've done right. is they've actually upgraded the circulatory system of Bubbles with an easy fill nozzle to sort of circulate fresh blood from other donor dolphins in the aquarium uh, just to kind of Aww. counteract the ongoing bleeding issues that Bubbles sure. has been having. Uh, all said and done, Bubbles is back. Mm. And he's swimming around, right. sort of. Hopefully, does Bubbles have his own tank? Um, well, y- yes. Now there were certain issues initially with cohabitation mm. with some of the other dolphins. Um, in one sense, the other dolphins being a little too violent and, and sort of not violent, but swimming too fast and being too playful and knocking some of these very expensive prosthetics right, right, off, right. breaking things. The other part being that bubbles bleeding as much as they are uh, has made surrounding water at times uh unsuitable for for other dolphins sure. and fish and what have you I'd, ex- I'd expect an industrial sized filter to to be on that tank if anything oh um absolutely absolutely uh obviously bottles is still or uh bubbles is still getting back in the game Bo- bottles were. would be a nice name for a bottle bottle nose dolphin it though. would be it would be perhaps a little on the nose <laughs> but Classic. uh the locals of clearwater are just happy to see their wet friend well again I, yeah, I, I, it sounds it sounds amazing. I hope that these sort of prosthetic uh, advancements catch up, and we're able to implement this in in many more circumstances. I hope to see a whole fleet of of dolphins of of robotic dolphins out there in the future. Well, it's you know it's a sad reality that if you can't conserve um, endangered species in the wild and they get injured and die in the wild. Mm then why not bring them to where we can 
take care of them and outfit them with these prosthetics so they can live longer and maybe less full lives but longer and we will have them longer on this earth if we can just we just go about this sort of philosophy right. of of yeah of, of helping and making sure that we can bring as much joy to as much people with the existence of this uh of this creature as possible absolutely well thank you very much for that rowan that was that truly was uh eureka feels for me um with my story this week is a eureka that's wild because it's some real wild science that I've that I've uncovered I've uncovered for you all this week. Ooh! So uh, this story uh, is about how researchers studying quantum cosmology at the University of Lower South Minneapolis have discovered a strange phenomenon with the 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 mysterious subatomic particle, the blogon. The blowgun. The blowgun. Yeah, Rowan, have you heard of the blowgun before? I have not heard of the blowgun before. It, it, it is fascinating. It's one of those. It's not. A, it's not a primary particle. It's, it's thought of more of as a virtual particle. Really, more of like a, a composite particle that that happens in between two more stable states of particle, like a Higgs boson or a gravitron or something. Certainly, but it's not necessarily tied to any particular uh, any particular uh, field. Hmm. like the boson is um but but certainly it is it is a very mysterious particle that it seems to, it's, it's more of like a if if i'm going to use a, a a an industry standard term it's a very disruptive particle if anything oh wow so this new particle and here's here's the kicker the new particle appears to have the ability from simulations and actual experimental research done at the accelerator in lower south minneapolis to obliterate black holes in their wakes really yes so you, you know black hole of course yes of course uh, black holes giant areas of, of space or areas of space that uh, are are so dense have so so many forces uh going through them that that light is in, unable to escape from them using just the the speed of light and its own momentum right um, so, so these thought to be thought to be a horrifying, uh, effectively like giant disaster prone. I mean, I think of black holes as as these very, very chaotic, very uh, uh, disastrous uh, features in space. Well, that's such a such a uh, ignorant view in a way. It's the embodiment of oneness, the monad of a, a singularity where all becomes one. So, uh, certainly, but also causing a lot of spaghettification on the way. So we think of we, we think of black holes in, in these ways. Um, but it appears that this blowgun has the power to somehow interact with the black hole in a way that completely obliterates it. And, and a little bit more background on this blowgun. Uh, a blowgun is a rare, neutrally charged virtual particle that scientists theorize uh, have uh, are uh, uh, take place when a y plus minus a particle and a fermion uh, interact in a fluctuating uh, f- energy field. Uh, so it, it's largely unrecorded. Uh, the interactions are, are are pretty pretty theoretical at this point, but there is a lot of data to support the fact that the blowgun exists, and it it does have a very disruptive effect on its environment. Uh, the particle seems to exist for less than one millionth of a millisecond, um, but for that time, the carnage is evident. Well, so perhaps we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but but this particle, the blowgun, mm-hmm. you say it is capable of of, in your words, obliterating a black hole. Right? How did this property become apparent? We obviously don't have many black holes on Earth or in the near vicinity of Earth, as wonderful as it would be to have one so close. Mm. But so how how was this property ascertained? Well. So you say we don't have a lot of black holes on Earth. In fact, uh, we certainly don't have ones to the, to a great magnitude. We, however, do have very similar singularities taking place on a quantum level. These singularities take place all the time when we are doing experiments. Obviously, none are very disastrous, um, but they they do they do tend to have very specific energy signatures when we are when we are researching them. So in so we realized this. Or they realized this um, in accelerator testing. A lot of accelerator testing around the blowgun has been conducted, and it was found that with certain interactions theorized to involve blowgun creations, um, what we saw was uh, energy emission distributions. So the energy that spit out in all sorts of directions after the experiment has taken place. Um, what we found with those were consistent 
with what scientists are calling a colossal a colossal obliteration event. We're talking we're talking arcs in all different directions, a bloodbath of energy just spewing everywhere in all different uh, in, in all different wavelengths and frequencies. Is this distinct from normal sort of expo- these sort of normal miniature explosions that uh, take place in a particle accelerator, particle collider? Yeah, I mean, we, we expect the scientists expect to see one sort of interaction, one with more patterns to discern, one with more explicit uh, explicit uh, uh, existences of of particles being matched to to energies that are being spit out. In this case, those energies are all over the place. If there is energy in there, it's not in there anymore, if you know what I mean. I don't think I do. Well, the, the thing is, from, from these simulations, from these experiments, uh, these scientists have, have determined that just as, as little as one blogon seems to have the power to disrupt uh, the mass density of a black hole, causing it to drastically destabilize. We're talking, it, it, it you know... Uh, from from reading these articles, it seems like that that the black hole is is fluctuating. It's 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 almost uh, convulsing at that point uh, in in sort of a, a destabilization event. Maybe those singularities are are thrown into different in different vector dimensions or something. However, when we talk about several different blogons entering into a black hole, hmm. what we're seeing is that black hole being being torn apart the fabric of that black hole just being left in shatters like bullets through a, a tablecloth it's wow that i know that is that is incredible that is that is fascinating uh, so the, the blowgun is being called some something is a more disruptive less to a black hole itself and seemingly more disruptive to the fabric of 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 the universe if you might really that's that's what it seems from these experiments. Wow. So are there any plans to sort of test this theory on a wider scale, perhaps in a, a, a clo- cosmological sense? Sure, in a real black hole? You bet there are. The, I mean, the problem is the life... Uh, the li- the the lifetime of a blogon is very short. It's hard to make a blogon. You can't really make a blogon and then send it out and hope it you know point it at a black hole and hope it gets there in time. It's just not going to even under even under a you know uh you know under under you know light speeds in relativistic uh relativistic uh, uh metrics how so so the goal is to somehow create a blogon near a black hole in in cosmology obviously black holes are hard to really pin down we don't we only have a few really good pictures of black holes so what it sounds like they're going to do is they're going to pick a black hole they're going to send the right amount of particles to that black hole and hopefully in a few decades those photons those particles will converge create a blowgun and then we'll see what one of these blowguns really does to a black hole well I would admit a lot of that is a little over my head. I've never been much one for for quantum mechanics, as it were, quantum sure. wellness. It, certainly, it takes but, a certain mind. But uh, we are at the midpoint of the program. So, mm. uh, Ron, do you have do you have a a, a meditation or, or something for us? Close, actually. Instead of the mid show meditation, I thought I could do a mid show affirmation. Mm. This is another uh, work from the old souls almanac mm-hmm. uh, a wonderful wonderful um so again something that is not about science at all well many of the world's best scientists and thinkers were old souls they were empaths they were people who just they operated at a different frequency than the rest of the people and i think that's scientific mm-hmm. in and of itself i mean and certainly if you have the data to back that up rowan but i i certainly don't don't well let's just let's just do this affirmation and and you can gauge for yourself if you feel that this is this is relevant i think you Mm. will okay so from the old souls almanac i'm the sensitive one i'm the weird one i have a big heart i care if i love i love deeply if i'm your friend you can trust me i love other weirdos i love people with big hearts if you hear this and relate I'm sending you a big hug, my big-hearted, weird friend. Don't change. The world needs your love. The world needs you. And that's a poem from the Old Souls Almanac. So with that... I, I, I Absolutely befuddling to me. Well, with that sort of as a, as a, as a big dose of 
positive energy to get you through the upcoming station break. We are going to take that station break. We'll be back um, in just a little bit over four or five minutes. Sure. And when we return, we have a very inspire another inspiring story today um another a very inspiring special feature that i'm right. very excited to to get into looking look forward to a bright future after the break and we are back we're back welcome back listener and welcome back rowan welcome back guy uh, so for this special feature, we're going to focus on a on a very a very cool project that's being undertaken by the DoD, the Department of Defense. It's something that uh, perhaps you've heard about. They certainly started to roll out new uh, some of some of their latest models of these things. Um, but really, we're going to talk about the fact that we've reached a zenith in two of the most technologically innovative fields, that being the fields of alternative and sustainable energies and systems. And then, of course, the field of military technologies. We are no longer uh, living in a world where, specifically, the military technologies wish to exploit the ecosystems um, that they're working with, but instead work alongside those eco- ecosystems. There's Within the Department of Defense, there's a really large, really, really, really confident initiative to make the military more solar punk. Well, as as you were saying earlier, these are two huge fields of research and development. Uh, but when you look at the face of it, there's almost a uh, such a gulf between the the perception of military technology and solar punk technology. There's sort of this cultural divide that I think oh is imagined by a lot of people and right. is exactly that, just imagined. There's no reason the army can't be solar punk. There There's is... no reason the Air Force can't be solar punk. Right. And and that's why these these We all live on the same planet. We all live on the same planet. We all live under the same solar energy source. That is the sun. So, I mean, for that reason, the the military, the Department of Defense and all the different military forces have combined and agreed on uh, effectively what they're calling uh, bringing a new meaning to biological warfare. It's truly revolutionary, and it's very cool, the kind of very cool stuff that is coming out of this. And and, and it's so um, people, you know, should be rejoicing, even people that normally are very wary of the 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 military and sort of the expenditures there but it, it goes to show that big things can be harnessed for good mm-hmm. you know it, it incremental change works you know it, it, reform within reforming from within is not just possible but necessary and everyone wins from it right this is a, this is a revolution of the of the philosophy behind the military with some really great really cool contributions from the latest science and technology which is very cool so let's get into these the first one uh, I think this is the one of the more basic ones that were released Um, it is still very cool it's not necessarily the most technologically advanced but it is the most important and that is that the fact is to be more sustainable to be more economically to be more uh, uh, you know uh, ecologically conscious the first step is education it's education. It's edu- educating the soldiers, the personnel within the military on how to live a more, you know, sustainably, more efficient lifestyle. And if anything, that that kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of what soldiers are taught already with sure. regards to accounting on oneself and the other people around you to go on partake on these missions and and work together it's just taking In a variety the, of conditions and right, environments right. And, and it's taking that sort of that squad ethos mm-hmm. and expanding it the squad to the world to the to the to the environment around them to the ecosystem to the to the to the diversity of plants and animals that they see on every mission that they go on so, of course, the very first uh, uh, thing that they were, they were teaching soldiers now, soldiers, whether they're on the ground, they're in, ca- they're in training, uh, uh, training camps, they are, you know, uh, higher up in the, uh, the uh, military hierarchy, uh, they were teaching them to be kinder to nature, which, which meant putting a larger emphasis on things like sourcing their diets from more, you know, ethically sourced uh, places and and making sure that those diets are more plant based. You know, if if a if a soldier is out uh, somewhere else, somewhere uh, in, into a different country, into a different culture, why not make sure that that soldier 
has what the ecosystem, what the what the actual culture of that place uh, has for for cuisine. It puts them in touch more with the surrounding, you know, diversity of that environment. Right, and even at, at a, on a more hu- humanitarian level. Um, Rather than having these these MREs shipped to them, mm-hmm. um, and that's a climate disaster in and of, of itself with the amount of CO two, they can go and they can go and engage with the locals, and they can they can ask them for food and what they would eat and get a true local produce. You know, that's right there, right? Partaking instead of taking. It's it's truly a, it's a different ethos entirely. And if they're maybe they're, they're not around cultures or communities, or perhaps there's some reason to believe that those those communities aren't ethically sourcing their their produce from from somewhere, um, you know, you know, with with a high ethics. Uh, then they could go out into the wilderness and they can learn to forage for themselves on, you know, native berries, native animals, native plants, you know, things things that, that you know, would help the environment around them. Perhaps even while they're out there, they could plant a tree. All of these soldiers are given uh, different seeds and, and tree, you know, plant bulbs and, and tree seeds to plant all over the ecosystem to encourage uh, biodiversity and encourage gratitude in the population sure, as well. It's a give and take. You take something from nature, you give something back, and that's what these soldiers are learning. Um, on top of that, all of their all of their uh, equipment is is uh, is you know reusable. Um, it might is biodegradable. All of the gear and the tools they work in line with uh, with nature. All of their whatever whatever tool they have in hand, um, it's specifically designed not to. If it's used in a an environmental capacity, maybe it's a shovel or maybe it's 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 an axe or something. It's it's specifically designed not to harm the environment around around that tool. It, it's, if if it's an axe, it's more like a it's more like a bear claw. If it's a shovel, it's more like a bear claw. You know, it's like some sort of animal. Well, that's and that's wonderful, and that once again ties back into taking advantage of local conditions and what's available locally. Mm-hmm. So you don't have this whole supply chain issue. Granted, let's play a mind experiment. I imagine if there weren't bear bear paws available, let's sure. say that this was a deployment somewhere with no bears. Um, I can't think of a specific place, but no. let's just remove bears from the equation. Perhaps they could get a, a, an antelope hoof to dig and make oh, their foxholes sure. in, or or some sort of staghorn that, mm-hmm. that that could be repurposed into a bayonet, perhaps. Yeah, it's it, it's all about just working with what's available there in right. in a, in, a, in, a, in a sustainable manner. It's yeah, it's about making sure that the soldiers are in tuned and their actions are all in tuned with the environments that they find themselves in. The next one is an, is another really cool. This is more of a technology that's been worked on. It's been in the works for a while, but it is the fact that I mean one of the other biggest problems with with the military and how they conduct things is the existence of shrapnel and how shrapnel is uh, well, it has a purpose, but it also has these side effects. These uh, they they're littering. They introduce uh, materials that aren't meant for an environment into that environment. Um, I mean, the list goes on. Right. You have to. Uh, it, it, it's nice to see it because this is actually evidence of a shift in thinking to what are the downstream sort of effects of shrapnel usage sure it goes there and it achieves its objective Mm -hmm. but what are you doing about it after the fact there's the consciousness of thinking what's sort of the end of this material after it has excised its usefulness lifestyle production of, of material certainly so so if shrapnel is introduced uh in in sort of a a disastrous way into a community that requires this sort of military intervention for whatever reason well the surrounding nature now hopefully will not be impacted as much because this this new shrapnel as well as sort of missile fragments and 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 additional other uh things that often are found within nature that are often like left behind as a result of of military actions they're they're becoming more biodegradable they're they're ensuring that this is a biodegradable source that you know once it's been used it, it it no longer has to affect the nature and the wildlife around it and on top of that, they're actually they're they're actually introducing uh, very specific additives to each of these different uh, to shrapnel, to missiles, to some ammunition cases, and things like that. 
um, that not only dissolve into the ground, biodegradable over the course of very rapidly in some cases, but they as they as they degrade, as they as they as they uh, sink into the ground, they actually release seeds and spores native to that region to repopulate from uh, not only repopulate but help grow back uh, uh, and, and grow more of the of the plants, the plant life, the ecology that exists in that region. Well, you know, it's sort of like that that old um, camping adage, take nothing but surveillance, leave nothing but craters. You know, it's that mindset. It, tr- it, it truly is. In, th- in this case, on top of taking surveillance and in some cases uh, other things, they're now leaving a, the, the memory of of nature they're they're making sure that their footprint it's almost like a reverse put footprint they put their foot there and what grows back are beautiful flowers it's wonderful it really is it, it truly is and and on top of this this isn't the only thing we talked about like ammunition cases but right now it, it's a little bit difficult but in the research into this ammunition what they're actually trying to to work into this ammunition is 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 a complex uh, bacterial compositions as well as coagulants and and chemical treatments that when that ammunition is shot, when that missile, uh, when that when that bullet goes through something, when that missile collides with something, we, the the what the hope is not only will the will the 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 extra bits from that ammunition of that missile itself be biodegradable, but there are treatments that make sure that any of the the you know the leftover plastics or stones or 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 any of the processed you know synthetic materials that come from the 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 carnage the the destruction that takes place or even from you know the the negative effects of, of say a blood or a collagen that may spill as a result of, of any of this interaction um, they're hoping to you know, effectively nullify that so that it does not affect the surrounding ecology and the ecosystem that also has sort of a, a health and and uh, effect to health and wellness I would imagine because sure. when you're left um, after perhaps some sort of engagement and you're left with all of this uh, um, detritus mm-hmm. that that is going to putrefy and and ultimately sort of attract pests you would almost want that putrefication process to occur much quicker to allow things to to resume get back to normal right perhaps not even get back to normal perhaps even maybe even nature takes a bigger step in this area than it used to maybe we bring nature back to areas that that were devoid of nature before but in a native way we're making sure we're keeping ecologies as diverse as when we left we're allowing the natural wilderness to sort of come back into places that where it might not have been before right that's it's wonderful i mean think think of all the 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 pictures of war that you see all especially the most graphic ones the the ones that really imprint on your mind now imagine those pictures included hyper germinating flowers trees little woodland creatures crawling in and and living the best their best lives and and that's what the idea of this is that's what the idea of all of this is yes uh, I, I mean it truly is um and then we also have uh we also have uh the next thing is, is i think one of the more honestly one of one of the coolest ones one of the most one of the sexiest one of the certain. sexiest ones uh one of the most ambitious ones and, and this is something that i've seen some pictures of and it looks absolutely breathtaking for all of the solar solar punks out there this is going to be one that they're that they're going to be really excited about and that is the uh the existence of i mean one of the other problems is that large military equipment things like you know convict uh, convoys and and tanks and large weapons artillery pieces right. what have you they 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 go through areas and they and they disrupt negatively they they hurt the ecosystems around them just by the fact that they're moving through it just right. because this equipment is so heavy and it leaks chemicals of course and there's not just footprints but tread prints exactly yes right. so so what they've developed is uh, what they're calling a the eco tank the eco tank is a complete intricate ecosystem that exists on within and around a tank it not only is an ecosystem, but it leaves an ecosystem wherever it goes. It's no longer, you know, crushing native wildlife plants or grasses or, or whatever on its way to to into an area. Now it's leaving behind a positive footprint, a, a, a positive, I would say, a negative carbon footprint. It's bringing back nature rather than taking it away. The way these eco these um these ecosystem tanks work is, is I mean well first they they would need to layer they what they have done is they've layered these these tanks pretty pretty standard military grade tanks with uh, with nitrogenated polymers and um, with different seeds and, and plants and animals um, and they've also then they've collected sort of biodiverse uh, elements from all these different uh, you know native 
areas, native native ecosystems that these tanks are placed in. Every single tank is custom designed for the ecosystem that it goes into. If you go into a desert area, it's a desert tank. If you go into a, a forest area, it's a forest tank. If you go into a tundra, it's a tundra tank, and it, and it integrates all of the ecological uh, the ecological parts of that of that environment. Well, and it's worth noting too that in nature, nature one could argue is is a war in and of itself. You know, right. with various sort of factors competing for one and between one another for resources and territory and what have you. Right. And when you look at nature and you look at in that mindset of of war, um, this sort of idea opens up such an interesting method for camouflage because as as i've seen these pictures and it reminds me of almost a sort of a crab that takes bits of algae yes, and puts it all over its shell so that it can snap at some sort of shrimp perhaps right and 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 that's the sort of the vibe that i get from these eco tanks right, right. You, you should see them i mean how how complex and diverse they are it's amazing whether it's on the sides of the tank uh, on the doors of the tank on the on the belts of the tank on the on the wheels of the tank even on the the little the little nodule i'm not sure what it's called but the nodule where the where the where the explosive comes out the turret the turret yes on the turret it's just covered in i mean in some cases the lavish vines and in, in some other cases you know uh, uh scorpions and cactuses and various other plant life associated with more uh, a more desertous region it, it really is amazing it matches the colors of it perfectly because it is made of the same things that the the ecosystem that it's going in is made of it's not it's not a matching color it's actually the plant life and the animals that exist in that region and, and on top of that as it goes through what it's doing is it's leaving behind say fresh nitrogenated uh, germinated plant life or even some small insects that could help you know bring better soils maybe small seeds anything that would help positively maybe even water in like more arid arid areas that could use a little bit more water but of course in a, in a very you know state sustainable way right and we've seen this sort of this concept before um at the very least sort of as once again looking at life cycle because there are numerous instances of of tanks being taken out into low-lying water and sunk and then mm -hmm. allowed to turn into natural reefs so this is almost just an extension of that yeah. why what if that tank still worked what if we could still use it not only was it being reused but it was being used at the same time for a different another different you know area that was the another different uh, uh job the the job of war oh and that and this is just very like you said it's better for camouflage it seems to be better for everybody and in some cases these sort of artillery once they go into an area and they do whatever they need to do in whatever conflict or whatever they're engaged in what they do is is, is they then from that from that wreckage they bring nature back so that nature can take over once again Right. Some some of them just leave. Some I've actually heard, you know, in some cases they sometimes just leave that tank there to become part of the part of wow. the ecosystem That's itself. Beautiful. That's beautiful. It truly is. And of course, it's worthwhile to remember too that these are not approaches that are going to be taken. Uh, individually this is a whole holistic reimagining right. of the theater of war yes. from an ecological standpoint a solar punk standpoint right it's 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 truly systematic and that's what we need more of is we need more systematic changes to areas like this and the final one is, is possibly one of the most revolutionary i mean we can talk about putting plants on tanks any day of the we week. can talk about putting seeds in in artillery shells yeah. or making why shrapnel frankly dissolve. why weren't we doing that you know 10 years it, ago it, it could have been done 20 30 years ago yeah think of all the wars that would have ended more naturally um but the last one is is what they're calling the p3 project uh the p3 project that is the pied Piper project. I guess it would just be called P3. Um, so this is a uh, this is a technology, specifically a a, a, uh, a locomotive technology, a technology that is able to travel, um, that is capable of using the local fauna uh, provided by a certain e ecosystem, using their their biodiverse uh, uh, fauna and, and their their different animals that exist in that ecosystem to help provide assistance during conflicts, wars, battles, things like that. Wow, that's incredible. And to, to, to be fair, just before we get into it, this is not a, a, a totally unheard of precedent in ancient, even up until early modern wars, mm -hmm. things like 
carrier pigeons or right. or or trench dogs that sort of thing right so there's certainly precedent for it but the the ways in which they are doing it certainly are 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 you know light years ahead of, of carrier pigeons I, i'd say these uh these different these these different fauna are are trained um in a variety of ways um using using things like uh uv lamps or 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 different different like calls or songs um spe- specifically if there are insects or animals that do in fact um you know regard uh, uh you know are are in fact spurred off by songs or or different like vocal bits a little bit um they are using them to help provide legitimate distractions and and provide forces into these battles when they are needed it's utilizing the ecology for as you said the theater of war well and and it's worth mentioning just clarifying rather that these these animals that the animals that are being utilized themselves are not trained we have just or rather the dod has found ways to sort of take the already natural cues that exist in the ecologies to bring about these local fauna, the local biodiversity right. into effect, into okay. engagements. Yes, uh, certainly. It, it takes a lot of study of local environments. It takes a lot of study of what the natural uh, the natural animals and, and plants and things like that in local environments respond to and how to communicate them effectively to to encourage them to come to come help so so whether that's swarms of insects at, at night to to a local village or town to help with re, like reconnaissance or or just provide a distraction um, they've also here's a very specific one is that uh, they've realized that specific sub uh, subsonic cues can be broadcast to sunfish um, in sort of aquatic areas um, to hamper uh, with small naval ships. So this is this is it's not just land ecosystems that this is applicable to. It, it's ecosystems all, all over the place. And and it's worth mentioning too for the listener or for the listeners at home. A sunfish is a very large fish. We're talking several several feet across, right. tons and tons. So one can imagine the effectiveness of a swarm of sunfish sort of glomming onto a battle cruiser, right. perhaps, and just slowing it down at a key sort of uh, a key. Uh, meeting perhaps it it is it is a it is an intersection between human life and plant and animal life it truly is the most solar punk thing Uh, so of course uh the promise uh, promising progress has been made on these uh with with you know a variety of different a variety of different robotic components uh things like drones or or you know uh uh, different different moving robotics just in whatever is necessary in the environment they are placed into to communicate effectively with with the animals and the life forms within um so i mean this this thing is probably one of the one of the coolest ones and i i'm super excited to see what comes out of the the pied piper project it it should be really quite fascinating because as we all know with military technology in particular it always ends up dribbling down back to us the consumer the 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 sort of the the civilians and i am fully excited to see what people just normal people will be doing with sunfish um, in just a few short I, decades. Yeah, and I hope I sure hope that the research keeps up so that they learn more about how to communicate and how to talk to and how to encourage different animals and and different insects and different plant life to to, to effectively like help us to, to 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 really become one with us to help the good guys. Definitely. Uh, thanks. Uh, I, I mean, so yeah, I'm really excited about this. But we are we are running to a close on this show. Yes. And I think it's about time to bring up our citizen science for the week. Right. And this is actually a citizen science I can comment on very briefly because we are running low on time. But um, this comes from a, a, a question from Crystal he- Healing Tribe on, on Facebook. <clears throat> Pretty bummed right now. This is the second time this has happened. I carry crystals in my pocket at times when I go hiking or on an adventure. Good ideas, both of those. Someone had decided to wash my jeans that held my crystals in them. Are they ruined by the chemicals in the soap? I feel like they lose their properties if any chemical substance touches it and gets absorbed. I have an overwhelming sadness upon me. One is a moldavite. I I mean, I would consider that a Eureka feels personally that is almost a eureka feels honestly and and i i have oft felt an overwhelming sadness with regards to say dropping a prized tanzanite or a nice amethyst snapping in my palms because Mm -hmm. i gripped it in a wrong way but to answer the question soap 
depending on the soap used, may or may not diminish the resonance of the crystal in question. Right. But there are very simple techniques that an, any individual could look up at home to sort of reharmonize and, and sort of get that spiritual um, seasoning, if you will, mm. back on the crystal. I would encourage this anonymous poster to look for those resources. They're out there. Um, and, and it's not not all hope is lost. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is this is unfortunate. This is an I, I think this is less of it is a citizen science, but I think it's within that that very uh, very you know, thin sliver of, of citizen science where it's an accidental science where an unfortunate series of circumstances has led the citizen to to you know conduct this scientific experiment. I would suggest like maybe they would have to test out their crystals to to really see whether those residences are still there and to what effect they do need to season them. That's something one one person and one crystal can only do when they're truly connected is understand that 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 is absolutely correct. Um, thank you for that, Rowan. That was very enlightening. I'd like to close by a quote, as I always do, from a from a famed science and technologician. Um, so this this week I'm going to close by a quote by uh, Handu Fawn, who is a biophrenologist and a chemical research consultant, and they said this. One must always be befuddled before they can be bemused. That's a thinker. It truly is. I mean, I would consider myself a little... When I first heard that, I was befuddled. But you know what came next? What's that? I became very bemused. Wow. Eureka Cast Now is meticulously researched, produced, and presented with the support of Tech Brothers New Media Laboratories in Chicago, Illinois. We are rebroadcast every Saturday evening, 8 to 9 p.m. CST, on WLPN LP 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please follow us at EurekaCast on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also visit our website at awcyfm.com slash EurekaCast. And of course, if you engage in other forms of social media, please feel free to find us at facebook.com slash awcyfm or send an electronic mail to awcyfm at gmail.com where you can share with us any technological, scientific, or spiritual breakthroughs you've witnessed or participated in. Additionally, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the program, feel free to reach us out to us at that email, which is once again awcyfm at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And with that, Chicago, allow us here at Eureka Cast Now to sing a joyful dirge to the hour we just spent with one another. Building a better future. <laughs>